Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. If you're not already, become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. And I believe, uh, you know, maybe in the next couple of days... You'll officially start seeing our magazines on your local bookshelves. Isn't that right, Ishmael Johnson? Yeah, man. Oh, my gosh. Finally, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh... <laughs> So this process for us, I mean, we talk about it all the time on this podcast, but, I mean, this this process for us basically begins in, like, February. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, this is months and months and months. And obviously, you know, with the weirdness of this year, having to do so much of it from home, like, we're just so thankful that it's finally, <laughs> finally all done. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, no. And it seems like, you know, we encourage people to subscribe because that's the way we can, we have the most control over make, making sure they get it right on time. Um, and, but, but when it hits stores is when it's like officially like, okay, process is over, right? Like people can go, people can go buy their own, you know, we still encourage people to subscribe because again, it is the most reliable way we can make sure that they get their magazine, but hitting store shelves is like, okay, cool. There it is. You know, you go in a, you go in grocery shopping or whatever, and you see it on the on the newsstands. That's when, like, to me at least, that's when like the big sigh of relief is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I must emphasize to everybody. I mean, we've had our magazines for like three weeks now. So look, right. if you're not a no, subscriber. Again, we, we really say subscribe because again, we make sure is the best we can. You know, uh, to make sure that you guys get it well before it hits stores. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Well, we apologize uh, that that we've been off last two weeks. It is entirely my fault. Uh, let's Sean see. Well, had to take a vacation. I I took a vacation. Don't worry, everybody. I did not fly. I did not stick around people. There's no way in hell I wanted to do that. Uh, <laughs> we we drove eleven hours up to a cabin in the mountains of Colorado, and it was fantastic. And we talked to nobody, and that is exactly how I wanted it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh and look okay so let's go ahead and get started so we're gonna start with some uh with some just little news items uh the biggest news item though right uh, everybody who listens to this podcast obviously our sponsor is north texas honda dealers we love them over there uh the biggest news of the, of the week uh i have a new honda oh there you go <laughs> <laughs> i went uh went to my local north texas honda dealer and i got uh, a new blue honda insight you know with all the driving that i do i needed something gas efficient so i just yeah. you know i just looked for the highest number i could physically find and uh and the insight <laughs> the insight says like 53 miles per gallon and i do not believe them but uh <laughs> but i mean look if, if you start with that number i mean you have to figure you're gonna get above 40 right <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> obviously in our line of work, a lot of a lot of driving. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, we we like to go ahead and uh, and live up to our <laughs> when we have endorsements like that. So went ahead and did that on Monday. But let's go ahead and really get started now. So uh, to start things off, who I don't even know where to start. Let's actually start with uh, with today's news. Okay, so the American Athletic Conference officially officially moving to Las Colinas, Texas. Yeah, following in the footsteps of uh, Dave Campbell's Texas football, I guess. Because <laughs> at one point, I'm pretty sure we had four people in the office living in Las Colinas. <laughs> right, right. I'm pretty sure uh, both of us uh, live sort of in that area, you know, in, in yep. Irving at least. Um, and and obviously, the funny thing about it, right, is that you've got the AAC there 
literally 10 minute walk away you have the big 12 office right um so like i said on twitter look if you're a university of houston fan like you you can go visit your uh, your conference headquarters and it's a very quick trip to go throw things at the big 12 office uh, <laughs> right. for, for, for not letting you in um and and which by the way the, the offices used to be in newport rhode island because they were the old big east offices so this is a a, a much shorter drive for us let's say yeah. um and then on top of that they're actually in the same uh the same office complex as the college football playoff as well so ucf oh interesting they they can also go and throw things at the playoff <laughs> <laughs> so no i mean look what that means ultimately because conference usa you know they're not in this area they're actually sort of in the the cypress waters area of dallas real close um you know Texas and, and actually the DFW area has three of the 10 conference offices and, and no other state actually has more than one, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I know the the AAC had to do with kind of UConn, right? Kind of um, right. them going to the Big East and, or was the Big, not the Big East. Um, they, they did. Yep. The Big East. Just not yeah, yesterday. Okay. That's right. And so they, it didn't make geographical sense to where they were, where they were in Connecticut, right? <laughs> yeah. So they were in Newport, that, Rhode that Island. Is, that's weird in general, but like, yeah. Yeah. So so basically the story I think there was that again it was literally the old Big East offices were in Newport, Rhode Island. And ah, obviously yeah. obviously, you know, when you were talking about up there, you're talking about Yukon, you're talking about Seton Hall, Villanova, all those sort of schools, right? And yeah. um but the thing was is that the only school close to Newport, Rhode Island was UConn, and they weren't right. even that close. That's still like a two hour drive, I believe. And then um so now once UConn left the cl- do you know what the closest school to uh to the offices are? AAC, let me see. Um off the top of my head, Memphis? Temple. So Temple, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. They're they're a good three hundred miles away from Newport, Jeez. Rhode Island. So uh so thankfully the AAC decided uh we're not gonna try and fight this anymore. We're gonna acknowledge that uh that we're more of a southern conference in the year two thousand and twenty. So uh so they'll be joining uh, everybody down here and and look, uh it's gonna be sad. Unfortunately I never got a chance to go up to the the famous clam bake that they have every year at Media Days. But uh but maybe we can do like a, a brisket barbecue or something like that instead now that we're in Dallas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, a couple of a couple of news items about players. So the first one, um, the great Matthew Baldwin, unfortunately, is uh, is retiring from football. Um, he was the quarterback at TCU, and uh, and look, it only makes more sense that he didn't play last year because he's just had repeated, repeated injuries, and uh, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, this is the end of the line for him. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, it was he was such a big get for TCU at the time, or at least we projected him to be such a big get because obviously their quarterback situation and what he did in high school with Lake Travis. Um, but, you know, that injury, his senior year, just it just hampered him, and he never really fully recovered from it. He never, I mean, since that first snap in the state championship game, he, hadn't, he hadn't, hasn't taken a competitive snap since, I'm pretty sure, right? He didn't take any garbage time reps, I'm fairly certain. No, I'm I'm pretty sure that he just did his redshirt year at Ohio State, and then yeah. last year he was deemed eligible to play, but uh, but unfortunately was uh, was hurt all year, unable to take snaps. And then this this spring, they even said he would have missed uh, he would have missed spring ball with an injury. So it's just yeah, one after the other after the other, and and I mean it's just unfortunate for that kid, obviously. But uh, he's gonna get his degree from TCU. He's gonna graduate. He's gonna be really successful in whatever he does. But um, but for sure. It leaves TCU with exactly one returning passer on the roster, obviously, uh, being Max Duggan, mm-hmm. and um, and then 
They've also got uh, a JUCO kid coming in from Independence Community College, Stephon Brown, who was the number one JUCO uh, dual threat JUCO quarterback in the nation, but he was you know he he wasn't a super high recruit. And yeah. then uh, Eli Williams, who I've heard good things of from the the people who I know who cover Oklahoma high school football. But I mean, again, steep learning curve. So uh, so quarterback room should be a lot of fun once again. One thing I'm curious about that I'm gonna have to kind of look up. Um, is I think unfortunately he becomes the first Lake Travis quarterback not to take a collegiate snap in this this run since Chad Morris. I it I think that that's probably true because I know that they were all sort of recruited um, highly, obviously for a long. Because you got long Gilbert. Time. You got, I, I want to say there was a there was an incumbent, be, or not an incumbent, but there was a starter before Baker. And, and I want. Yeah, I feel like that was the last quarterback. They're, they might have had a kid play baseball too instead. I I don't know why. That's fair. That. Um, yeah. But but I mean it's you it's think unfortunate. About that you know it's 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 it, yeah it's 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 unfortunate that that has that that's kind of a a sticking point. But it kind of shows that you know the run that they were on with just pumping out collegiate talent. People always think about Westlake because of Drew Brees and Nick Foles, obviously in the NFL. Sure. But um, as far as just consistently for the past decade, I mean it's been like Travis, no question in the state, just pumping out quarterbacks. Actually, I can I can go ahead and uh, and tell you actually. So uh, it started with Todd Reesing, uh, 2006 recruiting mm-hmm. class, played mm-hmm. at Kansas. Garrett Gilbert after that, Texas SMU. Michael Brewer, uh, Texas Tech yep. and Virginia Tech. Colin Legas, I think, was actually the guy who Baker beat out. Yes, and and he actually did play at SMU. Um, okay, okay, so he yeah. did take a snap. And then uh, Baker after that, uh, Dominic Delira after that, played at Iowa State, transferred to Texas Southern. Uh, then Charlie Brewer, Matthew Baldwin, Hudson Card, and um, okay. and whoever I'm sure starts next year. I, d- doesn't whoever start next year, didn't he have an offer when he was like a freshman backup? Like, it's just, who, who's next year's uh, yes, um, um oh, oh, gosh, I'm trying not to look it up. Um, Nate Yarnell. Nate right now, okay, yeah. yeah so he, he is. He already has. I mean, Baldwin was the same way. Baldwin, right. Baldwin had like a um, a Colorado State offer heading into his senior year before he right. took a snap, um, and or I think he was a Colorado State commit. Yeah. Um, and Yarnell, of course, played behind Hudson Card. So, and he already he's walking into the job with Houston, Pitt, Texas State, Nevada under his belt. So, yeah, yeah. it's just again, it's and and then I'm looking at I'll bring up bringing up his two four seven page right now, and he's. Six six two hundred, you know. So <laughs> right, right. He's, they're just they just pump out prodigies, man. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the funny thing, right? Is like Baldwin was such a late riser in this whole he process. Really was because he was, he was a Colorado State commit until the playoffs when right. Ohio State came with that offer. Right, right. Because uh, you know, I mean, obviously Brewer started two years before that, and that's that's mm-hmm. the real tough thing, obviously about. Uh, being in a in sort of a pipeline like that is obviously you know it can work out so well for you, but it's like yeah. it also means you you better wait your turn. You know, like you got to know yeah. that you're not going to play for a couple of years, right? So uh, unfortunate for him, but uh, but uh, happy trails. Uh, have a, you know hopefully he'll he'll do well at TCU. Still, um, two other transfers that I wanted to mention: uh, Eric Monroe, obviously a kid who's won at every single level at North Shore at LSU. Uh, he's heading to Texas Tech to shore up that secondary, uh, obviously a superstar safety. And the other, uh, this is a little bit of a, of a Texas high school football slash local note, Julon Williams heading back to San Antonio, heading to UTSA. Right. Uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that was that one kind of came a bit of a shock because uh, I, was, I was just on Twitter and I think I even caught the announcement like an hour after he had posted it. And... 
I was just like, wait, hold on, that Julian Williams? And <laughs> the the one from that awesome Judson team that probably yeah. should have made state that year. And But, uh, you know, he's coming as a receiver. Uh, he played quarterback at Judson. And I think, you know, people around San Antonio obviously were speculating, like, oh, is he coming back as a quarterback? And I was like, <laughs> sure, yes, UTSA's quarterback room has not been the best, but they don't exactly need more quarterbacks. They they feel I feel like they can suit out one of those guys and then make it work but they do need help at receiver which is what he's been training at the past two years yeah yeah and I I did get confirmation he is going to be a receiver like he was at Houston so um you you know like you said they they got uh a kid in uh in Josh Adkins who is obviously a local kid as well who's going to be a grad transfer with two years there Frank Harris is still there uh they Mm -hmm. still have some young guys that that honestly I feel pretty okay about Lowell Narcisse believe it or not is still there too though I don't I don't think he'll be a contender for the job so um you know and obviously with all this and I kind of posed this question in the group slack a couple days ago it's like you know Williams isn't a guy who would be an immediate eligibility guy um but it kind of seems like everybody's going into this process thinking well what was the NCAA gonna do right like are they gonna say no to all of us right right yeah I mean that's why not right i mean it's it's kind of a it's kind of an uncertain time especially with covid which we'll get into in a bit but there's a lot of like this is one of the few times where i'm kind of i don't want to say sympathetic to the ncaa but it's like what do you do about a lot of these right 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 well and there are a lot of kids who i mean for example you mentioned the julian williams like there's a lot of kids who are moving relatively close to home, right? Like, they, right, and that's right. something I mean, literally coming home to right. where they grew up, and like you know, in traditionally that's been a case of easy hardship waiver, right? Right, right. And I mean, yeah, like you'd imagine that. I mean, obviously, you don't want to, to speculate on a kid's life, but you know, you'd imagine that there's probably some reason that he could give if he's moving back to the city of San Antonio that you think, um, sure. You know, and and look, that might just be enough where you know a lot of kids obviously decide that they want to come back home and actually i mean it it feels weird to kind of speculate about football during these times but like you know that's something that you wonder too about the next couple recruiting classes and and with Mm -hmm. a lot of kids transferring maybe you know do more kids stay close to home do more kids go to you know to utsa to to houston to baylor to smu to you know to tcu it's it's going to be something to watch just over the next couple of years in terms of dynamic because again it's just like the kids right now who, you know, the kids in Texas who have to go up now to Columbus, Ohio, or have to go to Los Angeles or, or Eugene, Oregon. I mean, it's just like, again, I'm afraid to fly right now. I don't want to fly. Right. right? Like, right. I, don't I was wanna... about to say, I mean, the recruiting calendar has been all kinds of messed up just because yeah. of everything happening. And so kids aren't taking visits. And right. so like people aren't, there's going to be so many kids in 2021 who are committing with having never stepped on campus. Right. And it's going to, it's putting them in a tough spot to where like, okay, are you going to commit to, and you know, you talk about the, the power, uh, the power five, but even getting down where it's right. like, okay, are you going to commit to a Memphis when you haven't been there or just go to, you know, no offense, but just go to uh, North Texas. Right. right. It's and, like where you can drive up and like, you know, take an unofficial kind of or just walk around the campus be yourself. Yeah. And and honestly, like, I do think it's interesting to think. I mean, obviously, with this situation, it went a million different directions. But like with the Zach Evans situation, like the fact that he can drive home. Right. Like right. that had to have been a factor when uh, when you're deciding where to go. And and I am curious to see because like you look at the recruiting rankings and I'll actually try to bring up the uh, the national uh, rankings. 
But I oh, mean, yeah, because I want to talk about one one team sitting up there. Yeah, yeah. Ahead. Well, I I think that um you know last I checked, and it's, I will readily admit that it's been a, a hot minute since I checked, but um you know they're they're four to five in-state teams sitting in the in the top twenty-five, top thirty, and right. that's not something that we've necessarily seen the past couple of years. And and uh yeah, let me go through. So so Texas is in the top ten, and again to be clear, this is extremely extremely early right like this is not uh this is not what it's gonna look like in six months but baylor's at number 20 anm's at 26 obviously that'll rise uh sme's fallen down a little bit actually they're they're still at 44 but they only have 11 commits so they you know they're still doing really well for themselves so and i know that texas tech very recently was up there too so like they've done a good job of kind of staying in in that conversation and you wonder whether if kids aren't able to travel even if we do have football this fall if that's going to play a factor yeah, and I mean, I really think it will. And we talk about how early it is, but it's, I'm also curious about like kids who are committing, especially in the past couple of months. I, I I don't know why, but I get the feeling that they're stronger verbals than usual because of the uncertainty surrounding everything. Yeah. Um, because like, again, you have to take into consideration everything that's happening. And like, if we have an altered season of any kind or, you know, just something, I feel like kids committing now i mean they have to know more than ever like okay i'm dead i'm more committed than i may have may would have been uh this time in a regular season you know in a regular um situation so i i I don't know we can talk about we can get get into the uh discussion of covid now but just kind of how that's affecting everything i mean right now we're just seeing it affect the recruiting trail but I, I don't know. Again, I just feel like the verbal commits now seem to be more. I feel like they're more of an indication of where they're going to be, where where they're going to remain remain come signing day. Because also, we might not even get an early signing day with the calendar all messed up. I, right? I think we almost certainly won't. Yeah. So I. Oh, but you be, know, yeah. Uh, quick, quick, quick hint on the the national scope right now. Uh, that team sitting number three. Come on, Hope you them. see it. Let me let me go back. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Mac Brown. <laughs> Mac Brown has North Carolina number three. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday they did. They just landed Tony Grimes, the number one corner in the nation, five, five stars. Star. Yeah. Um, and he's probably gonna have a first round pick quarterback in Sam Howell in a couple of years. Like Mac is back, man. Mac is back. He dusted off. He dusted off the boots, and he just decided to to have an amazing uh, recruiting class, and and is gonna he's nipping on the heels of Dabo. Yeah, you know what I'll tell you is um is I remember back in uh in both in 2016 and and uh, this last cycle, but but especially 2016. Yeah. Uh you know, I was I was obviously uh, graduating from Baylor at the time and mm-hmm. um and I remember sort of that that coaching cycle afterwards, right? When everybody's like, uh, you know, who knows what the hell's going to happen. And a lot yeah. of people are like, well, "We need to get Meg Brown or Les Miles because we need to recruit at that level." And I was like, that's not how this works. You don't just get to be <laughs> Mac Brown and and he just comes to Baylor and he gets the level of classes that he got at Texas. And apparently I'm an idiot because right. apparently <laughs> Mac Brown does not give a damn. I mean, you look at some of the kids on this list. Like they have already 17 commits, three top hundred players, including uh, a top five quarterback in the class, Dr- uh, Drake May. You mentioned Tony Grimes, the number seven overall player in the class. Like they are just. It's insane. And and the he, thing that's crazy man, about great. it too, 
the thing that's crazy about it too, right, is like we kind of thought as uh, of Mac Brown as being obviously a very uh, Texas-based guy. Now, obviously, he's from I, I believe he's from Tennessee, right? And he coached at North Carolina, right. so like that that is his area. Like I'm not saying that he has no experience there, but like you look up and down the list, like he is dominating the state of North Carolina. Like that's right. where he's... he is. That's where he is just beating the crap out of everybody. It, that is that's been impressive and i mean like you know it helps having you know a guy like brewster back in his side uh, i know dre bly has been a good recruiter for him as well um but it just shows like I, I mean it just shows like his his yes mac was always a great recruiter but the one thing that he really did was he knew how to build a staff around him that knew how to recruit too yeah, yeah. and uh, obviously he kind of lost that touch toward the end um whether that was him or maybe some other things involved at texas you know who knows based on what's happening now but it shows that he you know he, he probably needed a couple years off to kind of you know get the get the touch back because i mean tony grimes basically had a had an offer from everybody you could think of and yep. They chose, and he chose North Carolina. So we'll see if it sticks. But regardless, right now on uh, July first, two thousand twenty, uh, you know North Carolina is number three in the nation in recruiting. Yeah, and and so I pulled up just the the state of North Carolina rankings, and and that area is very talented, right? Like that's always been sure. a place that that people talk about as like a if somebody could wrangle that. And Clemson has kind of done that. Obviously, that's that's sure. been a big part of their strategy is owning the Carolinas and they'll continue to do that by by all means there are mm-hmm. 17 players uh in the state of north carolina that are rated four star better and and north carolina has one two three four five six seven eight nine ten ten of them committed right now and mm-hmm. there are still other guys who are who are not yet committed who they could get in on so it is a uh, mac brown is back baby <laughs> he is yeah. freaking back so, uh, anyway, we are not Dave Campbell's North Carolina football. We are Dave Campbell's Texas football. Uh, so, you mentioned COVID. So, mm-hmm. obviously, we've, we've started to see uh, some of the schools come back during this whole process. And it's kind of come, obviously, at, at the worst time for the state of Texas, right? Right. Um, I mean, when you see all this happen, right, when you see these numbers exploding right now, in, in a lot of cities where obviously players are based, I mean, what are you kind of thinking right now? Just in terms of, just the, the, the like, in terms of the workouts, or, like, what do you mean? Yeah, like, like obviously we saw, you know, Texas had 13 players test positive. We saw that 23 right. people, including staff and players around Texas Tech players, uh, Texas Tech tested positive excuse me um you know tc doesn't even release numbers for example like we just don't even know i i mean it's just hard to balance what exactly you feel is obviously responsible and and what's putting kids at risk yeah so i think i think we to a certain extent we saw this coming right yeah um because we knew that back when they were canceling spring camp like okay when they come back for summer people are gonna get this right this is gonna be something that that spreads um just because of the nature of it i mean it's something that doesn't go it's not something that's that was gonna go away we didn't think it was gonna just vanish but i think now even even when we saw it coming to cert to a certain extent I still don't think people know what to do, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The fact that people are testing positive, it's just kind of like, okay, now what? You know, all we can do is kind of shut down some of these workouts, these voluntary workouts, these, you know, the high school ranks, some of these summer voluntary workouts too. But I think the thing, it's coming at the worst time uh, in another way because right now a lot of these shutdowns are voluntary, 
right? And right. so it's like, it becomes like, oh, okay, it's easy to pull the plug now. But it's like, okay, well, it's getting worse now. And w- it's getting to the point where I don't think this is going to go away even in a month. Um, especially with like the, the shut, a shut, another shutdown looking unlikely. So what happens when fall camp rolls around? You know, do you, do you uh, press on and just say, okay, it's only six players that are positive, keep going, right? And then and kind of continue to expose uh, other players and staff members to this? Or do you, do you start seeing programs like, uh, I believe, Division Two Morehouse finally saying, you know what, we're just not playing football, right? Right. right. Well, and the thing that I'll say, right, because I think that there are programs that have handled it different ways. So... Mm-hmm. So I look at, um, you know, at the college level, Texas, uh, I look at, you know, I, I saw one that was South Lake Carroll at the at the high school level yesterday. Like yeah. they had players test, test positive, but they knew it was going to happen. And so yeah. they kind of uh, so they've continued workouts and they've kind of, you know, had those procedures in place about how they're going to handle it. Right. Right. Yeah. I've seen that. That's one way I've seen it smartly done. Like I think one of the Frisco schools does it as well, where it's like you're working out in groups of six or ten. Right. Right. And if one, you know, you're you're so you're working with your group, and you're very distant from the other group. And if one guy tests positive, you just shut down that group, um, and something like that, you know. Right. And and to me, you know, I know it's funny because you're talking about 13 kids testing positive at Texas, but like to me, that shows foresight, right? Like yeah. that shows you knew this was going to happen. You knew this was a possibility. Um, you know, and the one thing that I'll say with all of this is obviously, at least at the college level, like all these tests should come before there's a single workout, obviously. But, um, right. but you know, you're seeing that when these kids test positive, that some programs have an idea of what to do now. Now, I, I think that I think of a program like Houston now, um, you know, and uh, I think Houston usually tries to do things the right way, but like you saw them coming in, they're like, we're only going to test symptomatic players. And immediately they had six test positive and they were like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And right. to me, that's, that's such a sign that you were not prepared. You were not ready to deal with the very basic thing that you're dealing with. And right. um, again, because positive tests are inevitable. That's going to be part of this. And that's not in itself necessarily a reason to obviously burn everything down. But if you're not prepared to deal with it, and it seems like a lot of high schools, obviously, especially, but colleges, too, are just so they, they didn't see this coming almost. I, I just how do you do this? Yeah. And like, I, I think. I mean, I hate to cast judgment, but it feels like like the, the symptomatic, the only only testing symptomatic um, that's insane. people. That's insane. That is a first week of the pandemic theory that got busted like instantly. Right. When you found out that there were asymptomatic people, like that went out the window immediately. And I think still holding on to that, and I get it. It's a resource thing, right? A lot of programs can't yeah. afford to be testing periodically every single person that's going to be participating in these workouts, um, as well as the people that'll be leading them, as well as staffers, you know, social media, you know, production, everybody. Um, a lot of people can't afford to do that, but that's almost something you're going to have. That's almost mandatory. Like, you can't test symptomatic because, you know, even if you even if you're asymptomatic now like sometimes symptoms we've seen symptoms not develop until day three or four of somebody actually having it and so like you know you're walking around three or four days two or three workouts spreading this you don't even know it and then by you know one week like we saw at houston oh look there's six players that are just spontaneously sick all of a sudden and i mean it it's a lack of understanding and i think it's a lack of 
I don't know. Again, I, I hate to cast judgment, but to me, it, it just boils down to a lack of understanding of what you're actually dealing with. And like you said, it's a lack of being prepared for, to how to deal with it. Because, you know, one of the theories I'm seeing right now, and again, we'll see it in a couple of weeks when um, uh, Texas, Arizona, Florida, kind of these cases get, you know, obviously rolled over into into more long, uh, long-term cases and ongoing cases. Um the theory I'm seeing now is like, oh, look, it's the death rate's going to be a lot less because it's younger. And it's like, yes, that's probably the case. But that doesn't indicate that these kids aren't going to be suffering in some way. Right. Well, and I, I hate that personally, you know, when we talk about the death rate so much because. Right, right. He's like, oh, people aren't dying. Who cares? And it's right. like Rudy Gobert's talked about how he's how his like his breathing still isn't right. <laughs> right. And he well, tested positive back in March. Right. Like, well, you know, let's let's. Let's pretend the death rate was zero, right? Like, let's just right. pretend it was uh, among young people at least. And let's pretend that zero players die, which is probably not going to happen, unfortunately. Right. Um, you know, we're talking about, obviously, kids suffering, first of all. I mean, just the suffering in itself is obviously horrible. Um, mm-hmm. Two, we're talking about kids maybe not knowing that they have underlying conditions. That's been a real, you know, obviously fear for me is just is just not knowing whether I just have something that, that I don't know about, you know, sure. and... Um, you know, not realizing that people around me are at risk, maybe, um, you know, obviously, you know, we've seen, like you said, there have been cases where people need lung transplants after the fact, where they're not breathing the same, where their heart doesn't work the same. I mean, and especially for a sport, especially with guys who, who participate in high competitive sport, like breathing in your respiratory system is like arguably the most vital thing you can have. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, we saw with like, uh, the case of, of Jordan McNair a year or two ago. I mean, you know, when, mm-hmm. when you're talking about people's hearts being weakened, like mm-hmm. th- there are real consequences to that. And, and um, you know, something that I've read about, and unfortunately, you, you know, somebody around me has, has kind of dealt with is even when you beat it, 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 there are long-term effects in a lot of cases to your heart and lungs. And so, yeah. You know, like I, I unfortunately know somebody who, you know, they they got it or a family member got it and they beat it technically and then they suffered a heart attack and died. So, like, it mm-hmm. wasn't technically a COVID death, but it was because of COVID, obviously. And like, right. and and you're just telling people who are asked to go out and perform at their athletic, you know, peak to, to deal with that. And, and obviously, you know, again... It does look like at this point, and we do have more information now than we did before. It does look like at this point that, you know, younger people are probably less at risk than than older people. But mm-hmm. the idea that we know well enough, and that you know we know well enough that all these kids are going to be safe to be able to just not take it seriously. I mean, it's just it's just kind of irresponsible, honestly. Yeah. What I don't know if you saw uh, Henry Bushnell's column today for Yahoo Sports, but like, I feel like we're not. I th- I feel like we're not hammering home the other effects of this enough because yeah. he talked to an athletic director of a Power 5 program and he said, uh, this is a quote from the article, one Power 5 athletic director told Yahoo Sports that multiple football players and other athletes have said they'd like to get the virus now so that they don't have to worry about missing games in the fall. Gosh. And that's like that to me just hammers home how much like, yes, okay, the average college football player probably will be asymptomatic or mild, right? The right. average just based on conditioning and based on their athletic physique and their 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 age profile, like they make up the bulk of the people who will have the lesser effects. 
that doesn't mean they won't they won't have any effects and that doesn't mean that they will recover in time for the fall and not have to deal with certain things right and so i I feel like people are so obsessed with the death rate and people are so obsessed with uh uh the 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 age profile of the people who it affects most that they're just casting aside anybody young getting this right we've seen it with with uh people going back to school in general where it's like yeah the students will be fine it's like yeah most of them probably but like and that doesn't even include like you know players coaches players people other player people the players will be interacting with um that doesn't include their family members their friends who might be more immunocompromised and and i feel like that quote is a lot more indicative of how a lot of athletes feel yeah because all they've heard from people around them is oh you guys will be fine if you get it yeah and the other thing too is that we don't know enough at this point to say that that if you get it once that you won't get a more serious case next time because right there have already been cases of of people getting it more than one time and yeah. Um, and again, those those might kind of be exceptions. You know, we don't necessarily know, but but there's sort of this idea that that getting the virus is like a vaccine, and it's not. You know, right. and and again, you know, one thing that I that I want to bring up, and we can kind of close out with this is, you know, the Ivy League has become the first league uh, that looks like they're probably going to play in the spring instead. And mm-hmm. and look what we've seen from colleges heading into this fall is that it looks like classes are going to either start on start on time or maybe one week early and they're going to try to get out by thanksgiving because we all know that that when it's flu season mixed with still covid being around things are going to be potentially horrific right Right. Uh, this this winter and on top of that you know there does seem to be some optimism that we'll have at least more forms of treatment uh mm-hmm. you know obviously the hope is a vaccine but um but you know that's we just don't know right. um but by next spring and so maybe we're at least a little bit better positioned to deal with it and we're not necessarily hitting the worst of it at the end of the season maybe we're dealing with the after effects of the worst of that at the beginning of the season which i think would probably be a better scenario and um i understand why that would be difficult for some people to deal with <laughs> um but you know, I think that that's the sort of thing. And I think the uh, Tennessee high schools, right? Is that the one mm-hmm. who uh, Tennessee high schools have also decided that they're going to play contact sports in the spring and the more non-contact spring sports in the fall. So it's a, I mean, again, there's just so many factors to consider, obviously. But, um, but you know, I think that these are the sort of things that we should at least be open-minded to during this whole process. Yeah, I mean... It- you have to um and yes it's gonna hurt some spring sports obviously right especially at the high school level where you have dual sport athletes and things like that um but i mean you you, if that needs to be the case if we want to have some form of football this calendar year like i mean that needs to be the case right because unfortunately it looks like we fumbled the response initially and we're dealing with this now um and we're having to now look at the realistic possibility of not having football this fall or having a severely altered schedule of football this fall um, and a severely restrictive <laughs> version of football this fall as well. Um, so, I, I I mean, again, yes, it's going to hurt a lot of schools budgeting for, you know, having to juggle a bunch of travel going on at the same time they might have to cancel some spring sports to accommodate they might have to just cancel the fall sports altogether if they if they prefer to keep their spring sports you know who knows right but 
these are decisions that are going to be have to be made. I mean, because they basically have one month to decide what they're going to do. Because once August rolls around, these sports are going to kick off, you know, or, or they're set to be kicked off. And um, whether you're college football, high school football, uh, college soccer, um, you know, things of that nature, uh, or volleyball, uh, volleyball as well. Um, you know, you got to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah. Well, uh, let's just touch on real quick, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit more next week. But obviously, the past couple of weeks and the past couple of months have been really an unprecedented time for action from from student athletes. You know, we kind of mm-hmm. we kind of saw it uh, first a little bit in this state, at least, with a lot of Texas players kind of speaking out and and obviously releasing a statement. A lot of Black Texas players, especially. Um, and uh, and we've really kind of seen that explode in a lot of ways, especially at Texas and Texas A&M. I mean, what has it kind of been like, I guess, to – it's what, what has it kind of been like for you to, to kind of see all this happen? Yeah. it's To me, it's been really refreshing because we, t- we always – I think ideally we've always liked the idea of college athletes having this voice and this platform, but we've never really seen them use it. Very sparingly we have. Um, we saw – I mean, for before the the protest started, it was kind of you know the Shane Bichelle thing with COVID using his platform to raise money for the city of Dallas and things like that. And so we've seen like them do it in more charitable ways in the past, but we've never seen it in more an activist role. And I think seeing that recently with Kellen Mond at Texas A and M really standing up um, for the removal of the Sol Ross statue, uh, Texas players, and and I got I mean I. I've commended Tom Herman on this, like him basically stepping aside and saying, no, sure. Use your platform, um, to bring light to these issues, um, like police brutality and systematic racism, like him being, I believe he was the first power five coach to openly say like, yeah, I'm not going to shield them from saying anything. And, um, it'll, or at least to openly say that a lot of coaches are allowing their players to do that, but he was the first to kind of release a statement, just absolutely advocating for them to do so. And Texas letting them do that, um, and them kind of being using the, all their social media platforms to, you know, call for the changing of the fight song, to call for the removal of statues, and just using their pro uh, their platform in an unprecedented way. <laughs> it's kind of been really awesome to see because these guys do have do have a platform and do have leverage, and this is the first time that they're actually getting to use it because guess what we don't know if we're going to get football and if the players aren't committed to playing football because of certain issues then programs are in a catastrophic position <laughs> yeah and and i think it's been really interesting because i think for me you know i obviously you know neither of us played college football um yeah. but you know i i went to baylor which is obviously a pretty white school and mm-hmm. um you know a school that i loved i had a great experience there but obviously a very white school mm-hmm. and uh and fundamentally i mean I obviously the the place where you saw the most black people obviously was in athletics mm-hmm. and it was always a little interesting to me because you know you have Corey Coleman there you have Katie Cannon there you have Robert Griffin there you have Terrence Williams there and and you know you kind of like people talk about these people obviously in very sort of detached ways but you know these right. these are people who are members of campus too and and actually you know, I know that uh, that Sam Blum at the Dallas Morning News uh, about a week ago had a great story where he talked to Rodney Clemens, obviously one of the most respected players at SMU over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Um, and, and he talked about an incident where he was pulled over and 
a, a campus police officer demanded to see his his student ID and and uh, he didn't have it on him because you know you don't have to have that on you at all times right. and uh, and the only reason that the that the campus cop kind of let him go basically was because he pulled up his player profile on the SMU football page yeah. you know <laughs> like that's that sort of stuff I think is is stuff that obviously a lot of uh, student athletes at primarily white institutions deal with and obviously a lot of students too obviously but um but you know it's it's been interesting because like you mentioned it hasn't been accepted for players to to tweet about certain things and to say certain mm-hmm. things and and it's been like you said it's been really refreshing it's been a really important moment i think to to see that you know that that student athletes have been allowed to and and been able to speak up and say these things about uh, about the place that they go because you know I mean I I think that honestly the one that's been the most interesting to me and I think that you know even for the next couple of weeks will be the most interesting is at Texas A and M because 100%. because at Texas A and M you know you have a a biracial quarterback who you know at a school that obviously is only three percent black. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know they're talking about doing things. You know, Texas A&M is a school that loves tradition and loves its history as much, if not more, than any institution in America. Mm-hmm. And and so it's been really interesting to kind of see that battle. And and I think in a lot of cases have these hard conversations, um, you know, about some of these things that that obviously people love. And yeah. I, I, oh, good. Yeah. No. No. Go ahead. I was gonna. Well, I was gonna say like I think, you know, Kellen Mond is such a divisive figure as it is, right? Right. And and so him saying something even more divisive as as in the right as me, I personally think it is for him to speak sure. out on this. Um, it, it is interesting to see. It, it's 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 been funny to see kind of the 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 divisiveness of him as a player be just kind of reflected elsewhere right 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 <laughs> because right. now it's like a lot of people are channeling their frustrations with him as a player into now him as a black quarterback and a black man right um right which is why like i think guys like jaman osmond standing up for him right here's a guy who's not very divisive he's a very good wide receiver um a star wide receiver for them also standing by his side somebody like ryan Tannehill in the nfl right a white quarterback yeah. who's loved by that community uh standing up saying no right soul ross needs to come down um i think that's i think kellen mon not being afraid because he knows he's divisive right he knows he hasn't been the most consistent quarterback and you know it, the sign of anybody's a fraction better is or is gonna get the admiration of fans everywhere but the fact that he was like you know what? i don't care like i'm gonna get more hate for this i don't care this is my chance to say that this statue of a confederate general needs to come down right and i'm gonna get even more hate than i already have and i do not care this is something that needs to happen and i think the one that uh, the one that stood out to me was the Ryan Tannehill cosign because again, this is something that black athletes have been, have, they can stand up and shout from the heavens. Right. But until players of uh, players of, of, I don't, I'm trying to figure out a way to word this white allies need to be able to stand with them on this. Right. Yeah. And especially white allies of prominence in their community uh, without controversy or without any polarization of their of of uh, uh, of opinion on them, somebody like a Ryan Tannehill, who isn't a polarizing figure to AM fans, saying Kellen Mond is right, 
is something that needs to happen. And that's why, you know, guys like Tom Herman saying my players have the right to say what they need to say is a big cosign because they might, whatever you may say, they might not listen to Brennan Eagles, but they'll listen to Tom Herman. Unfortunately, that's how it is, but they'll listen to somebody of prominence like Tom Herman saying, no, listen to Brennan Eagles. Yeah. And I think, I think it has been interesting to, uh, to see, I mean, obviously I do think it, it does put, you know, some of the white leaders of teams in an interesting position because, mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be the one speaking, right? Like, that's obviously, I think, like uh, right. like with Sam Ellinger, you know, he hasn't necessarily been very vocal, but I think a big part of that is because he doesn't want to be seen as co-opting that conversation. Right, he doesn't right? want to, yeah, he doesn't want to take the spotlight from Caden Stearns, from Eagles. He's like, this is their, this is what these guys are doing. I'm not here to, I mean, again, it's about listening right now. And if, you know, if it, if all you're doing is just stepping aside and saying, hey, pay attention to these guys, like, that's, that's enough, yeah, and and the thing that I'll close with is this, and, and then we'll get out of here. But, um, you know, we talk a lot and we hear a lot, especially about how, especially obviously from from uh, white athletes, you know, how much uh, when you go into that locker room, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what background you are, right? And mm-hmm. I think that the interesting thing about this is that we are learning for whom that is true for. Right. You know, because for a lot of people, you know, they're hearing their teammates who maybe they've had great relationships with forever, you know, say all these things that one, maybe they've never heard before. And two, uh, maybe they don't agree with. And this is kind of the moment where you have to decide, you know, are we just are we just buddies who happen to play, you know, a sport together in a locker room? Or are we people who are willing to, to stand up for each other and fight for each other? And and look again you mentioned Orion Tannehill you mentioned Johnny Manziel also spoke up on that um, you know mm-hmm. there have been other white players at, at Texas A&M and Texas and, and again those are really the two biggest uh, sort of movements that we've seen so far are, are at those two places mm-hmm. um, you know but but that this is where those moments kind of come about you know what side are you going to be on uh, are you going to actually kind of stand up for, for your teammates uh, in these moments so it's going to be I think something that obviously doesn't just end with the end of June that doesn't just end with you know camp starting even I think this is going to be stuff that we're going to be talking about as we head into the season I mean you know in in the past couple of days obviously you know at the University of Iowa the top paid strength coach in the entire country was let go because Mm -hmm. of this stuff you know um, Akram Wadley, I know at Iowa was was a guy who came out a couple of days ago and kind of confirmed some of this stuff Uh, at at Utah obviously you know they decided to take off the title of head coach and waiting for Morgan Scally because of some stuff that had been said. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we are learning that there are not just some consequences that can come about from this, but there are real significant consequences that I don't think anybody would have seen uh, as, as potentially possible. So, so this stuff is working. It's just going to be interesting to see how it goes into the season. For sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Thank you for bearing with us at, uh, during our inconsistent schedule during the last couple of months. Uh, hopefully, we'll, uh, regardless of, of what happens the next couple of weeks, hopefully, we'll, we'll be back with you guys more consistently. Uh, as always, if you are not already, become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. You can find all of our content at texasfootball.com. Follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. And for Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan J. Raja. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.